This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Relationships take work, and that's especially true about the relationship you have with yourself. We often will drop anything to go help someone we care about. We'll go out of our way to treat other people well, but how often do we give ourselves that same treatment? Investing in your mental well-being with therapy is one of the most important things you can do for yourself, and that's why this month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everyone else. And therapy is a great way to make sure you show up for yourself. Therapy is a useful tool for anyone, no matter their walk of life. And with BetterHelp, you not only get the help you need, but the help you deserve. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Morning Cup of Murder listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash morning cup. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash morning cup. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. Any story involving mafia-esque entities is comprised of twists, turns, and incredible complications. On February 28, 2007, a man pleaded guilty to a series of murders that were part of something called the Melbourne Gangland Killings. Murders that were done at the hands of men in a criminal underground desperate to find power. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Today's story, like all good gang and mafia murders, involves a series of different players and opposing families. To begin, we have Carl Anthony Williams, born on October 13, 1970, and spending most of his childhood in western Melbourne, running the neighborhoods with his older brother Shane, who died of a heroin overdose in 1997. Carl eventually married Roberta Mercica, a convicted drug trafficker, had a daughter named Dakota, and worked various laboring jobs before opening a children's clothing store with Roberta that, unfortunately, never really took off. While doing all of this, Carl was also racking up quite the criminal record, with a 1990 conviction for handling stolen goods, possession of stolen property, and failing to bail, a 1994 conviction for attempted drug trafficking, for which he was given a 12-month sentence, and a 2004 conviction of drug trafficking, for which he was given seven years. However, Carl was just the tip of the iceberg in what would eventually be called the Melbourne Gangland Killings. On October 13, 1999, Carl Williams was shot in the abdomen by a man named Jason Moran, who claimed that Carl owed his family $80,000 and needed to pay up, an event that would spark a lengthy underground war known as the Melbourne Gangland Killings, and in total, saw the deaths of at least 36 underworld figures between January of 1998 and August of 2010. All retributive and spanning across a number of different communities, groups, and families that caused a sustained power vacuum within Melbourne's criminal activity. To this day, a number of these murders remain unsolved, though according to the detectives from the Purana Task Force, 
Carl Williams alone was responsible for at least 10 different murders and only stopped when he was finally caught, confessed, and pleaded guilty to three of them. Because of his confession, this is what we know. Going back in history a bit, the criminal underworld in Melbourne began around the time of the Second World War and can be traced back to the Painters and Dockers Union. The union at the time had a very mafia-like structure and relied heavily on the trade of the heroin and cocaine that passed through the port and was distributed at the Melbourne markets. By 1990, the local manufacturer of amphetamines had increased to the point where police described Melbourne as the, quote, amphetamine capital of Australia. And in addition to the lucrative business and drugs, criminals were receiving a steady income through protection rackets at the local nightclubs and amongst sex workers, illegal gambling dens, and, and when that wasn't enough, armed robbery. In 1996, a man named John Higgs, Australia's number one trafficker at the time, was arrested. And after one of the most expensive criminal investigations, involving all of his underworld connections and a number of corrupt cops, was finally convicted for his crimes. A controversial case that included a major supply of drugs and his whole syndicate mysteriously disappearing. It also created a stir within the community and a major void in the power structure that people, both new and established, were ready to fight tooth and nail to fill. Some of those newcomers, chomping at the bit to make a name for themselves, were Jason Moran and Carl Williams. In 1998, two big-time Melbourne gangsters and allies of John Higgs, Alphonse Gangatano and Charles Higelji, were both killed just 10 months apart. And with their deaths came the sudden rise in position for several of their men, men like Vince Manella and Demetrios Belias, who were both killed in a fight for ultimate dominance. Then came the shooting of Carl Williams that seemed to further exacerbate an already pretty tumultuous situation. After being shot in 1999 over money relating to an amphetamine trade with the Moran family, Carl began a war within the community with the sole goal to kill all of the members of the Moran family and their allies, the Carlton crew. It's worth noting, though, that while many of the murders can be attributed to the gangland activities— in the end, it is difficult to discern who killed who and who hired who. So today, we are just going to talk about the murders that, through investigation and confession, can be directly connected to Carl Anthony Williams and his quest to rid the world of the family who shot him. There is a long list of other murders that are either unsolved or have other men named as the responsible party. However, this does not necessarily mean Carl Williams had nothing to do with these deaths. As I said, it's a very complicated beast. If the Australian gang scene is something that interests you, I highly suggest looking into the twists and turns of the Melbourne gangland murders. On June 15, 2000, Mark Moran, Jason's half-brother, who was present the day that Carl was shot, was shot to death upon arrival at his home in Aberfeldy. Though initially suspected to be in retribution for the death of a man named Frank Benavido, Underworld Rumors named a few men as the killer, all of which worked under the instruction of Carl Williams. Mark Moran, at the time of his death, was under close police surveillance, but for one reason or another, the team was mysteriously called off just hours before his death. Though Carl was due to stand trial for Mark's murder, the charge was eventually dropped when he pleaded guilty to three other murders. 
Two years after Mark's death, after a meeting with a mutual friend, Carl hired a man named Andrew Veneman as his right-hand man until late 2004. Andrew was only one of a few men hired to do all of Carl's dirty work. On April 15, 2003, a man named Nick Rediv, also known as the Bulgarian, was shot seven times in the head and chest while sitting in his car in Coburg. He met with Andrew Veneman the day of his murder and was told by a number of associates that he was a marked man. He ignored their warnings. On June 21, 2003, Jason Moran, the gunman in Carl's attack, and colleague Pasquale Babaro were fatally shot in the parking lot of the Cross Keys Hotel, where they had brought five children, two of which were Jason's, to attend a football clinic. The clinic had just ended, and with the children still sitting in the back of the car, a gunman approached the vehicle and, without hesitation, fired both a shotgun and a handgun at the two adults. Both men died at the scene and all in front of children who were under the age of seven. The gun used to kill both Jason and Pasquale were the same used to kill Mark Moran three years earlier. The gunman, a man named Victor Brincat, later told police that he was hired by Carl Williams and was shorted his $10,000 fee. Jason Moran's murder was one of the three that Carl would eventually plead guilty to. Shortly after Jason and Pasquale's murder, Task Force Piranha was set up by the Victoria Police who wanted to infiltrate and investigate the Melbourne underworld. On August 18, 2003, a fire was reported in a stormwater drain in Sunshine, and when the fire brigade finally got the flames extinguished, noticed a wheelie bin with the charred remains of a human body still inside. The man was eventually identified as 36-year-old Mark Malia, who, before his murder, was kidnapped by Carl Williams and seven of his men, taken back to a warehouse and tortured into confessing to where he had buried some laundered money. On October 25, 2003, 38-year-old Michael Ronald Marshall was shot outside his luxury home in South Yara, right in front of his five-year-old son. He was a hot dog salesman who sold ecstasy on the side and had been suspected by some for being responsible for the death of Willie Thompson, who was gunned down on July 21, 2003, and who was a close associate of the Moran family. Carl Williams, wanting to frame Michael Marshall for the murder after rumors said he ordered the death to steal drug chemicals from him, ordered Michael's assassination. On November 17th, Carl was arrested and charged with making threats to kill a Piranha Task Force detective and his girlfriend during a taped phone call with gunman Victor Brincat. He was bailed out two weeks later. A few months later, Carl went on the record with the bulletin and denied that he paid Andrew Veneman $10,000 to murder five different targets. On March 31st, 2004, Louis Moran was fatally shot by two balaclava-clad men inside the Brunswick Club. He had only recently been released on bail following a drug trafficking charge and had been warned by police that his life was in danger. It was later proven that Carl Williams paid for the hit and eventually pleaded guilty to this murder. On June 9th, 2004, after being responsible for countless different murders, the Piranha Task Force arrested Carl Williams for conspiracy to murder and arrested two of his associates just meters away from the home of Mario Candelo, thus saving his life and preventing him from becoming the 28th gangland victim. He would, on February 6th, 2006, be shot and killed in his driveway. 
In total, the task force, upon his arrest, believed that Carl Williams was involved either by his own hands or knew of at least 14 of the gangland murders. On February 28, 2007, Carl pleaded guilty to the Supreme Court of Victoria to the murders of Louis Moran, his son Jason Moran, and Mark Malia, and guilty to conspiracy to murder rival Mario Candelo. Under his deal with police, Carl was not charged for the involvement in the murder of Mark Moran. He was sentenced to life imprisonment and an additional 50 years behind bars. On July 19, 2006, prior to the guilty plea, he was convicted for the murder of Michael Marshall and sentenced to 27 years imprisonment, a trial and outcome that had been previously suppressed and was not made public until his 2007 trial conclusion. On April 19, 2010, Carl Williams died from a head injury while incarcerated at Bar One Prison. He was struck with part of an exercise bike by inmate Matthew Charles Johnson, who was later convicted of the murder and sentenced to 32 additional years behind bars. On the day of his death, News Limited newspapers revealed that the Victoria police were paying $8,000 in school fees for Carl Williams' daughter. The reason was unknown at the time, but after Matthew Johnson's 2011 trial for his murder, it was revealed that Carl, prior to his death, had become an informant for the police. He struck up a deal with the assistant commissioner, Simon Overland, and gave information on several unsolved murder cases believed to have involved corrupt officers and even implicated his own murderer in at least one of these cases. In the aftermath of his allegations and his death, an investigation was held and a report came out that was very critical of the corrections Victoria, who approved of Carl Williams sharing a cell with Matthew Johnson, despite his allegations against his cellmate. Two months after the report came out, the Department of Justice secretary resigned, as did the Corrections Victoria Commissioner. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on March 1st. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.